0: 19 of Penny Red. My name is Daniel Hodges, writer and designer of Victoria, and your host. If you'd like more information about the game, go to hazardgaming.com. And for more information about the podcast, as well as show notes and other episodes, go to pennyredpodcast.com. This week inside the Roleplay Studio, I have Laura Bishop, a gamer from Southern California and one of the members of the podcast Actual People Actual Play, or App App to those in the know. You may also know Laura as one of the writers from Dream Pod 9, where she worked on the TriBate game line, as well as Moonlighting as part of an all-girl punk rock band. You can find out more information about Laura under Laura Bishop and all the regular spots. So without further ado, hi there Laura, how's it going?
1: Hello, I am very, very happy to be here. I honestly can say, even though this is only a Monday, that is, I've been looking forward to this all week, all last week, I don't know, it's been a highlight and I've been looking very forward to it, so thank you for having me. Well,
0: uh, thank you for agreeing to be on the show. I, I hope that the, uh, that I can live up to your expectations.
1: I'm you could have just, like, put a picture with a stick figure and been like, hey, here you go, and I would have been thrilled and delighted. I am increasingly surprised that, I guess you could call it micro fame of the internet. Like, I just am constantly surprised when people go, oh, I listen to your podcast, or, oh, I read your books, or, oh, I saw your, you know, post in this forum, and I'm just like... I'm just a girl with a cat in in LA. Why are you paying attention to me? Right. But yeah. you know, I'm I'm just I'm absolutely delighted and just beside myself. So thank you, thank you very much. Well,
0: um now I'm I'm flattered that you're so flattered.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> so no, for the uh, you
1: No, no,
0: you. <laughs> So for the benefit of those that uh, aren't familiar with uh, any of your work or haven't uh, been following you uh, and your cat's antics online, how long have you been a role player?
1: Oh, my gosh. I've probably – when you talk about, like, picking up dice and actually putting them into something that made a semblance of sense, I'd probably say I started at about 13, maybe 14. Like, what are you – here in the States, you'd be a fifth grader, just beginning junior high. But I actually – it's kind of a funny antidote. So my older cousin, um, when I was about 12, brought the comic book ElfQuest. Um, she used to come down for the summer, and I devoured it. It was the very first comic book I'd ever read that wasn't just male-centric superheroes punching each other in the face. And she was so enamored that her little cousin was so enamored that she showed me the Quest RPG which is just a, um, a D20... No, excuse me, it's a 100% percentile system. So, I mean, it, it's as old school as old school could get. But I didn't really understand the concept of role-playing, so I literally took the character sheets, because they had a, um, like a silhouette form that you could draw your character on, right. and I drew the pictures, and then I'd cut them out and use them as paper dolls, and occasionally I would roll the big dice that she gave me as, like, did you make the jump? Yes, you did. So I did that as lonely fun for about two years before um, some junior high friends of mine, who had kind of in a similar anecdotal story, they found a TMNT by Palladium and had bought the book to draw the to draw the like Ninja Turtles out of, right. and then only realized after the fact that it was a game. Right. So like with our fumbling powers combined, we formed a very naive playgroup of just uh, Ninja Turtle elves that kick bad guys' butts. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I,
0: I loved uh, Ninja Turtles myself, but I, I think uh, it was in an episode I was doing with uh, Zach Smith a couple of, of weeks ago, I said that I really really enjoyed the character creation aspect of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but I'm not entirely sure if I ever actually played the game.
1: Um, we, it's funny you should say that because we actually had a sub-game of that we literally just called it Beat'em Up where we would roll up dudes because it, it was fairly random if you let it be, so yes. it would be like, you know, one through ten, your eye color, but also one through ten, what kind of snake you were, or if you, you know, were a reptile at all, or, you know, depending on what chart you were looking at. And then we would just, like, have full on, just, uh, you know, danger room, like, punch and brawls. And then that was the game for us for a long time.
0: Right. <laughs> and looking back at Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles now, um, how close to the rules did you manage to get? Because I know that um, it's one of those strange things where, you know, it's almost a bootstrapping. Type scenario because unless you've got somebody that's played or done role playing before, you can only sort of go on what's inside the book. So every group almost needs like a like a seed player, somebody who's actually played before. Who's actually done it. Yeah. In Unfortunately, order to get it going. no.
1: <laughs> we were all very young and we were pretty rules lawyery at the time. And I'm trying to think what book it is. I know it's definitely in Mutants of Avalon because that's kind of what we played the most. Where you have the random encounter table. It was almost like a Final Fantasy game in that way. In that You would go for so many scenes and then you had to roll on the encounter table and then like whatever came up, you had to fight. And sometimes it was just innocuous, like, oh, you come across some rogue bandits, no problem. But sometimes it would be like this outclass you monster and we were just like, oh, well, that's what rolls (laughs) up. (laughs) Because, you know, we were, like I said, 12, maybe, you know, 11, 13 at the most. And we were just like, those are the rules. And so that's what we did. Right. Uh, but eventually we actually graduated to GURPS, and then GURPS is even more like, you know, how many bullets are in your gun going yes. at how many miles an hour. So we were pretty right. rules-weary for a very long time. Right.
0: So it sounds like you began at the simulation end and went even further along the simulation line. So so you started off with ElfQuest slash um, Paper Doll uh, Playhouse, yeah. and then went to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and then from there to um, GURPS, like GURPS mm-hmm. just GURPS Fantasy or...
1: Um, kind of across the spectrum, um, at the time that I was in junior high, uh, we, I had, like, a little core group of, like, four, and I was the only girl, or young lady at that time, um, and we were, we'd go from fantasy, uh, I remember when space just first came out, so we made a whole bunch of spaceships, because that's, like, man, get your Excel sheet ready for that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, I do remember when, I'm trying to think of the campaign book, um, when the two Time Traveler, there's, like, Stockwatch is one of them, and I'm forgetting, timepiece. I think, is the other one. So we had the idea of adventures, and then we did have one uh, young man named Josh who kind of spearheaded his terms of the GM, and he did kind of begin to mold our adventures and things like that, but we were still very much, yes, very simulationist in that just, you know, how many arrows are in your quiver? Oh, you're out of arrows. You better go either pull them from the guy or, you know, pick them up at a next time you're in town, and imp- you, nobody ever never took. Let me try that word. No one ever not took. Double negatives are fun. Uh, improvised weapon because right. we knew that if you were using projectiles, at some point you were going to run out, right. and so you had to pick up like the chair or you know the other guy's club or something like that. So right. that was like a standard that you just always had. Right, and
0: being as that you began at the simulation in and sort of heavy rules lawyery, in um, <clears throat> episode. Fourteen. I was talking with Satine about this idea that you know you. Whereas at the simulation end, you're going for maximum reality, but along with this idea of simulation, there are some very clearly defined rules. But part of that is if you've got a character can do X, Y, Z, one, two, or however many times a day, then Mm -hmm. um, as soon as you've done that, you're as bad at doing that special thing as somebody without that skill altogether, which goes completely the other direction to being unrealistic and and how do you reconcile those two ideas
1: well and that's in large part why I'm really I would not call myself a simulationist anymore I I really hit that roadblock now I kind of got away from role playing in high school because um, parents divorced as parents do and I went to a different high school not with the group I had gone to elementary and junior high with (laughs) I went to a predominantly Hispanic high school in uh, Santa Ana California they don't want to role play there (laughs) <clears throat> at all it's not it is just not a cultural thing with them and so i did a lot of lonely fun but never really any group fun and i didn't really do um any conventions either because i was uh the oldest girl and i was living with my dad and there was no way on god's green earth he was going to let me you know go away for the weekend with right. 200 other sweaty young men um right, sure. yeah so uh so it was just a I weekend th-
0: of lonely fun for you
1: Pretty much, yeah. Like I said, a lot of, a lot of just rolling up because at that point, like I'd gone from Gerbs, um, and then you know, World of Darkness was kind of coming into vogue at that point. Right. Um, some Pendragon, but not a lot. I actually didn't get into Pendragon until I like, three months ago. I swear to God, three months right. ago. Um, but when I kind of got back into role playing after, co- in college rather, I was really, really frustrated the way I, I had always. Been frustrated, say, in junior high about the simulationist, because again, yeah, especially when you're doing a little more like D&D style, which admittedly I did not play a lot of, but so much is based off of it sure. that, you know, you can only do like, you know, three reses a day. Well, if your party member dies a fourth time, now you can't do it. But the other guy who just like was an acolyte learning got a lucky hit and now you're both kind of the same. Right, right. I was frustrated, but I didn't realize it could be any other way. Sure, yeah, that's so, often the
0: thing, right? You, unless you unless you can see that there is a different way, it just never, it never. Occurred. It seems so obvious in retrospect, right? But
1: absolutely, yeah. But that, you know, I mean, you know, not to sound cliche, but that's also part of just growing up. You don't realize that not every night is every night. Is, Tuesday night is pork chop night until you go to someone else's house on Tuesday and they're not having pork chops. You know, you you don't have any perspective until you kind of go out into the bigger world. And since my world was so, like, a microcosm of just, like, me, my four guy friends, nobody really in high school, and then, like, this small, like, almost embarrassed admittance during college that, oh, you oh you roleplay, Oh, okay. And I ran into a lot of D&D people, and so, and then that was kind of its own thing, because I didn't really grow up on d and D, I I grew up on GURPS, and so we so. were kind of, it was, it, I always imagined it was kind of like, you know, the difference between Uh, Like New Zealand, Australia, Canada, America, and England. We're all sort of speaking English. Sure. (laughs) But kind of not at the same time. Sure. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Just going back to something you said uh, earlier on. uh, Today's Monday and tomorrow is Tuesday, and I'm expecting pork chops tomorrow for my dinner. (laughs) Are you suggesting there may not be pork chops tomorrow? (laughs)
2: I'm like, what was I
1: saying? I mean, of course they would be. Oh. <laughs>
0: Tomorrow
1: we're that we'll at our house, but that's just a special thing. So.
0: Oh, gosh, I was wondering if you was going to go into Santa Claus territory for a minute there because I I heard some rumors, but oh, good. thank goodness for that. Absolutely. Uh, so course. so after you did um GURPS and then uh you sort of flirted with World of Darkness. Uh, with the uh, oh, you said you know it was about the time of order. Of did you play any World of Darkness games?
1: I actually played the World of Darkness Almost exclusively for ten years after Ooh. that.
0: Okay, well, which, in that case I'm yeah. excited to ask you this next question. I don't <laughs> have suspicions about your answers. Um, did you ever play Wraith?
1: Um, I tried. Uh, the the i no, I play, primarily played World of Darkness online, which um, you may or may not be familiar with in Mushes, yes. sometimes called Muds, yep. sometimes called Muxes. Yep. So it was a really it did not trans Wraith does not translate online text based Kind of at all. Right. Um, it can, if you have a small, dedicated group of players, like if you and your four friends just go from game to game, so to speak. Um, and I don't know how much you want to give a primer to your audience on, on, your audience on how much this but it was basically like logging into an AOL chat room because it was just text. Right. And But, you know, you would had individual individual spaces that you could go, but because Wraith has, you know, there's all the hierarchies and then there's the mm. shadow and, like, sure. the person sitting across from you plays your wants. And so, no, I, I really didn't play a lot of sh- Wraith, although I had a couple people who were really into it and did play it in tabletop. Right. I never really, it was never my shtick. My shtick was very much changeling right. with some flirtation with mage. Right. I only played Vampire once. Yeah, I just so I, I had like I said I had a couple friends who played Wraith. In fact, um even one person in my current play group, um Jesse Brunico, he he desperately wants Wraith to work and I'm just like not the way it's written. <laughs> I'm very sorry. But um, no, I played I played a I played a bucket load of Changeling. Right. Um, I even played it both online and offline. Um and I and I I played never played Werewolf and I played Vampire once.
0: Right. That was it. <laughs> the um the reason that I ask is because my feeling is that Wraith was about 15 years ahead of its time because nowadays when we're getting to story games like Fiasco and so forth where we have this idea of you know really collaborative storytelling. Back in those days I there may have been others, but I was not aware of them. This idea of the Shadow where you actually have to trust the other people in your game to you know to to although you're supposed to play the Shadow um, as kind of a nemesis, and it's only a nemesis in a way. Your object is not just to totally screw the person up, but right? just to try and put them into a, into a sort of a. Well, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, to put them into a place where they're going to be uncomfortable, but True. also. are you're, you're introducing
1: in a you're introducing conflict, and you're almost kind of co gming at that point. Yes,
0: that's right, and that's why I'm, that's what got me to thinking about that it was um, sort of ahead of its time because games like, as I say, like Fiasco really go a lot into that now, and also. Now,
1: uh, I would concur 100%. In fact, I'd almost maybe say, if, have you ever played um, the game Polaris? I, I, I think ha- it's Van No, I haven't. I,
0: no I, have, I, I haven't played Polaris, but there's there another, like yeah, a yeah. Blood Blood and Honor, is that another one that's...
1: Yeah, um, that is, that's uh, the, the John Wick one, correct? Right, yes. Yeah, no, they're very similar in that. I would agree that, that Wraith is, it's one of those things where it was so ahead of its time, I think people have kind of maybe forgotten that they read it and put out that idea and then years later thought they were being original and really it had already been done before. Sure. Um, because yeah, I, I've, I've made that comparison before. Well, I haven't, let rephrase that. I've been in a conversation where that comparison has been brought up before and right. that of course people have to agree to disagree very loudly over drinks, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the way we do it here in SoCal. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it, it is in that trust. And in fact, um, that trust is very hard in the World of Darkness. Mm. I'm just, yeah, I'm going to just lay that out right there. Uh, because so much of the, not, not, Changeling was a little different, but not that too much, but so much of the World of Darkness as a whole was built on player versus player, PvP, you know, go, make looking up for number one. Like, sometimes you'd work in groups, like if you were mages, you you had your order, or if you were vampires you had, your clan, or at least your... I don't quite remember what their little immediate little, like, four-person thing was called. Coterie, is it? Maybe? Coterie, I think, yeah. yeah I, that That's the word I wanted to use, but I couldn't quite remember. So, But it was more like, you know, keep your friends close, your enemies closer, because sure. you always kept the people who could hurt you the most on your side, whether or not you were really quote, friends. Right. And so you were always looking for ways to just undermine or backstab or... You know, just somehow screw up their whole plan so that you came out on top, sure. even at, you know, their demise. Sure. And, and like, so that would be, that would, you know, the, playing the shadow would be very difficult because you're like, well, I could lead him down this path that would give him great success. Or I could lay all these, like, dark side cookies in front of him, mm. knowing that he'll ultimately self-combust leaving his resources available for me to scoop up and then if he wants to play again he'll have to come in as a lower level character
0: sure and that goes a little bit also along with what happens in call of cthulhu because in call of cthulhu it's not a matter of if you go crazy it's a matter of when you go crazy embracing the, the the slide towards darkness which they sort of tried to introduce in vampire but i don't think it was quite so um it was it was a little bit easier to avoid yeah. Rather than in Call of Cthulhu, or perhaps and Wraith, and I think that that idea of like embracing the darkness in a way, you know, like just trying to eke out as much pleasure as you can before your character really goes down the spiral. As yeah, absolutely. First
2: of all,
1: I just have to say I have I have the softest of spots in my heart for Call of Cthulhu. That was probably the one game there was when I was a freshman in high school. There was a, either he was either a junior or a senior, but he was a really quiet guy sitting in the corner of one of my just like auxiliary classes like i don't know underwater basket weaving but he was reading a call of cthulhu book and so he invited me over on saturdays with he and his already gradu- graduated older brother to play with that brother's college friends right and so we did that for almost a year and then I'm, I, I guess he had to be a senior because i remember him graduating and then that was the end of that but i played a, ger- a character named gwendolyn godfrey and she went and saved. Right. And just, I love, yeah, I love that. But no, it, it's definitely a, a when, not if kind of situation. Sure.
0: And so you did World of Darkness for about 10 years, and then, then what after that?
1: Um, I actually took something of a break, because uh, my husband at the time was really experimenting. I just got tired of everyone being out for everyone. Right. I I could not handle, I mean, by nature, I feel I am a nice, caring more cooperative player. Like, in my MMOs, I tend to play the healer. Um, you know, in co-op I tend to be the support player. Like, I throw down the buffs while you take out the guy. So, the all the time being undermined being sabotaged from within just, just the bitter taste in my mouth was overwhelming. So, I actually stepped away for maybe two years. But at the time my, like I said, my husband at the time was really getting into indie games and I was just like, no, I don't I can't take that. And he was just like, no, no, it's really totally different. It's all about intimate stories and conflict. And so, I remember going to a strategic con, um, which is a convention again down here. At the time, it was at the Westin. Uh, it was held at the End near the LAX, and I pr- it may not be, but my memory says that the very first indie game I ever played was uh, Dogs in the Vineyard. Right. And you're you're, you know, uh, cowboy Mormons, and you, you go out, but like, the way that you set up your character, like, you had the four or five backgrounds where it's like, are you from back east? Were you born into the fold? Are you a convert? Are you a mountain person? Like, that was so different from the World of Darkness's, like, what race are you? Okay, what class are you? Okay, what are your attributes? What are your stats? You know, just very formulaic. And even then, from even previous, when I, like, GURPS, it's all about formula. So I had always kind of been on that path. And so I feel like when I got introduced to, like, dogs in the vineyard it was just what madness is this Uh, i don't understand right and it was probably the best gaming experience i ever had if only because it was so fresh and so out of left field that it changed who i was as a gamer from that moment on
0: sure okay and so what do you play now
1: right now um I primarily play with um, the At Play group, because even before we decided to do a podcast, we were still pretty much gaming every Saturday. We kind of stay in themes, but not necessarily systems, although occasionally we do that. Like, we did have kind of a long run where we just ran Fate games, but we didn't necessarily do that on purpose. We just happened to play, like, uh, the Dresden Files, and then we played a Leverage game, and then we played, you know, and it just kind of, we played Diaspora, and it just kind of went in that, that general direction. We try to just look at things that interest us and explore it, and we go for not short and not long, but, like, medium length. Like, if we kind of go more than five sessions, that's long for us. Sure. But we do have, like, a story arc where we kind of have, like, one, two, you know, episodes, if you will, of setup, and then three is kind of, like, the big... Turned a twist, if you will, and then two of like wrapping up and putting everything back into order the way it was. Right. Occasionally, we'll go on and have another like adventure. We did that with Dresden, Dresden rather. Um, but I mean, we've played, we played Star Wars Saga, we've played a number of independent what you know, one shots like there's a uh, Dirty Secrets, Polaris, although Polaris can go a little, a little longer than that. Um, oh my goodness. Uh, but yeah, so for the most part, I, as a gamer, I'm looking for compelling, s- intimate stories about characters. Now, right. I enjoy I enjoy setting. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, like Lady Blackbird is a great, like you know, um, Firefly with the s- serial numbers ca- carved off. Right. But it's still about it's about the people that are there. It's not just you flying in space and like shooting reavers kind of thing, or right. non reavers, as the case may be. Right. Anybody really. <laughs> Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> <What> do <laughs> you, you want to this
1: week? But you know, you're still bickering on the on the back on the cargo deck. So you know, that's really where it is for me. Because like you know, uh, Houses of the Blooded is the same way. It's it's very kind of all about the internal conflict and but n- keeping up with the Joneses at the same time right. and very very personal, very sure. personal. Sure.
0: Okay. Well, I think that uh, people have probably got a pretty good idea of where you've come from and, and where you're at now. So uh, let's crack on with the uh, with the main body of the the questions here. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, what's your favourite book or supplement other than Victoria or any of the things you've written yourself?
1: Um. I, you know, and I spent a long time trying to think about what my favorite one was. And I didn't write it, but it probably has to still be from the Tribate line, the Children of Lilith's um, metaplot book. And I really thought about that because that was my knee jerk reaction. So I kind of was like, oh, you just had a really good time playing that campaign. So, you know, it's, what about quality? What about this? And so I finally, though, I just sat down and was like, no, no, let me, this was where I had the most fun. Um, Brand Robbins was our GM at the time. And uh, he's kind of big in the story games, although not so much anymore, so some people may know him, some people might not right. but the children of Lilith books, so uh, just a quick the tribe eight line, there was the core rules, and obviously you could develop your own your own plots as you saw fit, but they did publish kind of like a above it meta line of these like one hundred and twenty eight page flat books that were a continuing story of the the godlike figures who were called Fatimas and what was going on in the background and you were you could integrate that as you wanted wanted to or not wanted to right um, the children of Lilith was so Tribeate is called eight because there were used to be eight gods eight Fatimas and right. then one of them was actually murdered by the other gods right. and so there was a hole there and a new god rose in his place eventually named Lilith right. and the PCs had the opportunity to kind of buy into her shtick, if you will, right. and become Children of Lilith, and, like, they got new superpowers, and, you know, I won't spoil it for everyone, but there was a huge twist at the end that just left me devastated,
2: right.
1: and just that whole experience, and I just, again, coming from a more simulation Rules heavy. I didn't really know that games could offer that kind of epic sweeping feeling. Right. That wasn't just, you know, epic sweeping, oh my gosh, this gun can shoot 200 bullets a minute kind of feeling. That's <laughs> right, like, right, yeah. I di- yeah, I didn't know that it could take me on the ups and downs. And in part, in that, it, I will give credit where credit due. Brand Robbins is an absolutely fantastic storyteller. He has a great sense of timing and nuance and a way of remembering small details that you you did as throwaway movements that he brings back later, and you're like, wait, but that didn't... Oh, no, that was a big deciding point kind of thing, so right. that was fantastic. But the material he had, too, at the time was just fantastic. It just, you know, hey, new god? <laughs> like, right. where did that come from? And right. so that that is probably still one of my all-time favorite supplements for any game ever.
0: Right. And that whole idea of um, the GM picking up things and calling back to it later on, I think that as a tip for for GMs, that's something really you should try to do. Like if somebody says something or does something, you know, making notes of those types of things along the way, you may end up discarding most of them yourself, but being able to tie back to previous events and things that we just throw away is a really great way to increase the um, memorableness, I guess, of the, the campaign, but also just to create the sense that they're involved in a, in a big sweeping story where all of their actions have consequences.
1: Absolutely. And you don't have to have it all planned out from the beginning. You can, make things up that look like you had it planned all along. Like, that to me is the, kind of the, the signature mark of a really good storyteller, if not necessarily a GM. Like, one of the moments, just, you know, to use that game as an example, um, I was playing a child, a child with Agnes. She is a childlike god. um, And so my character was fairly young. And so she, at one point, found a toy Like, just discarded among the rubble. It wasn't placed there for any, like, specific reason. I just was like, is there any stuff around? And he's like, uh, yeah, there's, like, a doll. And, you know, this other Mm. useful stuff. And so I picked up the doll and was just like, yeah, I tucked the doll in my backpack. And then, like, three games later? So, like, you know, you're talking almost, like, three Saturdays later at that point. Right, Um, I was confronted by Agnes herself, who mentions the doll and I bring the doll out and it became this big thing and it was just like it was this fantastic moment and I asked later, I was like, did you do that on purpose? And he's like, no, but I had written a note down you know, Laura puts doll in backpack and I just, I knew that that could be used later. So he had no real idea what he wanted to do with it, but it it was a good a lot of times we, we describe things here in our local gaming group as like TV moments, like, oh, the camera focused on it. Right. So right. we're like, yeah, we totally saw that moment where she looked at the doll and then tucked it in her backpack and looked around to make sure no one else had seen her do that. Right. And, like, that's the kind of, like I said, that's what I feel is a good just signature mark of a good storyteller, not necessarily a GM, because players can do that kind of stuff, too. Sure, of course.
0: Okay, so going to the flip side of that question, if you could cause <laughs> one game or supplement to cease to exist, what would it be? It doesn't necessarily have to mean that you think it's badly written. It could just be because it's wronged you in some random way or because it came along at a, a time in your life and you've made an association with some unpleasant event.
1: I, it was, again, this one is another one that I kind of solicited to the people around me, and I said, how do you think if I said X? And they're like, no, that's, that's, you know, that's a horrible game. And so I kind of threw a couple around in terms of, like, did they wrong me? Did they, you know, just bring the culture down as a whole, you know, the crushing of Western civilization? (laughs) And I honestly came away with Vampire. Vampire the Masquerade. Um in, in, in a, a larger extent, the world of Narctus, And we kind of talked about it a little bit before... In that it was just the culture that it, it developed... Was just very antagonistic. Nobody working with you kind of thing. Everyone against you. Right. We're only friends for as long as this goal. And then if it even is marginally met... We're back to being enemies. Right. But I found that vampire... And vampire players in specific... Took that very much to heart. Yes, Very, very... And then even further when you start talking about the LARP environment, like, I, am, I only began LARPing about a year and a half ago, despite being a theater person all of my life, all through junior high, high school, and college. But LARPing was just, I'm like, ah, no, I've met those people. And, you know, they hand me black roses and kiss my hand, and I can't deal with that, you know. And it was a common joke around here that, you know, you went to, to a LARP event to, to get a hookup. Because right. that's all they were for, kind of thing. Right. And I, and I don't necessarily right. know if that was just maybe here on the West Coast, because admittedly I've not met that many East Coast players that played like in the Camarilla. But just horror story after horror story of not even just rules lawyering, but just like rule bending so that their friends could you know do better and stuff. And it just right. I feel like it just drug the community as a whole down. Right. And, and you just, nobody wanted to, you, you weren't friends, you were just people who didn't hate each other as much as you hated that other guy.
0: Right, right, the the uh, enemy of my enemy is my friend situation.
1: Exactly, and then when you approach games like Fiasco, or Polaris, um, where you're kind of co-GMing for like the person they're next to you or across from you, I have found, especially now that I'm, I'm far more entrenched in the indie community, that people coming into it, that, that like, Old school trad damage, you know, in a way, it's really hard for them to give that, to give you faith, to give up that, you know, cynicism of like, well, you're just waiting to kind of throw me to the wolves kind of thing. It's like, why would I do that? Why would I not want you to have fun?
0: Right. Oh, yeah. Again, that comes also from the simulation end as well, because the, you know, the, To my way of thinking anyway, you know, the the war games, you know, you've got board games and war games and then you've got the simulation in like Rollmaster or something like that where, Mm -hmm. you know, like everything is very cut and dried and, you know, it's not, it doesn't foster, you know, character development all that much. I mean, that's not to say that you can't have character development in those games, but the emphasis is definitely on the
1: the simulation of it. Yeah, and and you go to play them for a different reason and so you know no, I I totally understand what you're saying. And yeah, when you're talking about games that are about characters as individuals or even characters who are working towards a specific goal like um I'm trying to think of a game where like you're on a team kind of thing like Mouse Guard, um Burning Empire or Burning Wheel rather. Uh Burning Empire not lot so much doesn't have to be, but you know, where you're obviously a group of four dudes who are going to go and fix the problem and save the day and be the big damn heroes. that is so hard for new people to indie games to kind of get around. And then, you know, when you start talking about, like, weird dice systems or even some games that have, like, if you're talking about Primetime Adventure that has cards, you know, you're like, wait, why are we playing poker all of a sudden? The whole experience, just they just kind of throw their hands up. It's like everyone wants to be a Care Bear, and now we're playing poker. Blah, table flip. (laughs) (laughs)
0: who yeah, right. so, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't mean you want to be a care bear really
1: really it's true and, but you know there's just such a big difference between like being a care bear and like we can certainly have internal conflict but we know it's time to decide when like the lich king walks in the room mm, yeah. and that's the moment I'm looking for right. I have no problem like calling you like you know a dirt eater uh, I'm trying to think of on my my like either Babylon 5 or BSG you know it's like Cylon dirt-eater toaster face oh but that dude's like gonna come and get all of humanity okay cool we can set our things aside and now we're gonna go be the big heroes and I trust that you're not gonna stab me at the last moment kind of thing Mm -hmm. and that I feel like the world of darkness and in specific vampire just eroded eroded that
0: right yeah I I didn't play a lot of vampire. I played, um, I think Mage was the game that I played for the longest in that, and my favourite game still is Mage, and that may just have been because of the way that, um, the game was run, but I didn't have that same experience in terms of every person for themselves. Although the characters... Mean,
1: what, a what, uh, if I can, what, um, what... What kind of mage? I forget what they're called. What tradition? No, because that's just the Hermetics. Like no, no, tradition you... is
0: correct. Yeah, yeah, tradition. tradition? Yeah. Okay. Because you've got the tradition mages, and you've got the technocracy, and you've got the marauders and the nefandi. That's right. And those, yeah. they, I mean, the marauders are just are just mad. I mean, well, they're not. I mean, you can take it further than that. But the nefandi is everybody's enemy, and then the technocracy. Uh, you know, they're trying to harden reality, and then you've got the traditions that are that see reality or reality in their own way, and yeah. and. Um, my character was a dream speaker, but the other people in the oh. group there was a there was a, a hermetic mage and a son of ether and and so forth. And it was a case of, um, you know, your you needed to work reality. You need to have a, an appreciation of the way that reality worked for you in order for your magic to work. But your version of reality didn't need to be shared with everybody else in order for reality to. Be uh, in order to be able to work. So yeah, there that, was a lot
1: more give and take in that. Regard. Yeah, oh yeah,
0: and and I th- and I agree that vampires are much more. I mean, they sort of go set up that you know they're solitary predators right from the get go. That's kind of the premise of the of the character. So when you go ahead and tell all the characters that they're sort of solitary predators, then you know you don't sort of get you know tigers you know working with other tigers and and that's, yeah. And
1: you know their commodity, their resource is kind of the human race, and mm. so you know. You know, a lot of times, especially, again, online, you'd end up, they have city by night. So it would be, like, Los Angeles by night or New Orleans by night. And if you really thought about it logistically, it could, a population of X could not handle, like, 40 vampires. Like, the streets would just be decimated. And so, you know, when you start talking about, like, at your tabletops or in LARPs and things like that, like, that, you know, eat-or-be-eaten mentality, I feel like, is just sort of taken to that next level. Because, again, sure. yeah, you're correct. Like, when you're talking about mage, it's, there's still a much more us versus them as opposed yeah. to you versus me.
0: Yes, sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and and then, like you say, that's the background of the, of the, of the story. So, uh, yeah. are there any games or supplements you're particularly looking forward to?
1: Um, the one I was looking forward to the most actually has already come out. I was really excited about Monster Hearts, um, which is uh, powered by the Apocalypse and it it is amazing. It is my current squee book of all time. Um it's it's a little bit Buffy the Vampire Slayer, a little bit The Vampire Diaries, uh, even a little bit Dollhouse in a way, but um you get the playbooks and you are an angsty just emo ridden teenager and it's all about <clears throat> it's all about experiencing the trials and tribulations of puberty via these superpowers or monstrousness, if you will, because, like, there are some characters that are, like, werewolves or were-creatures. They can be were-cats and stuff like that. Um, And I love that. I love taking that awkward... and making it a hyper-reality. Like, it's... The witch character is probably still my favorite playbook, and it's, like, you silently judge people, and that was me as a teenager. (laughs) Like, I was so angry that nobody around me liked the things that I liked, but I was too shy or, you know, insecure to stand up for myself, that I just was like, well, you're dumb, but I'm (laughs) smart over here in my bedroom by myself, except you know, in the playbook, she then does a hex, and your toes fall off, and then she gets silent vindication. And I love that, and actually, to be fair, that's what I loved about Buffy, the Willow storyline, where she actually becomes addicted to magic, because, you know, it's, it's just a complete you know, mirror image of just teenage drug use. And
2: Hmm.
1: I loved that, and I loved that symbolism. I loved that analogy and the fact that I get to play it now. So um, I'm super excited that that's out. Uh, Probably the next biggest thing I'm kind of looking forward to is the um, Machine Age Kickstarter still going uh, uh, Farewell to Fear, which I'm really excited about but I'm still a little hesitant and on the fence about, and I'm sorry David and Mina, because I love you guys to pieces if you're listening. I'm waiting to see how the public reaction is going to be. I know it's a great game. Because they're basically taking the premise of like your traditional B&D, right. but they're... they're Allowing for the fact that your characters actually are going to change the world and you are leading the revolution. Right. Not only that, they're being very specific and very sensitive and conscious to not everyone is a Conan or a Red Sonya and like all of the women wear appropriate armor. There are chubby dudes in their art world. Right. And I love that. Right. And I, I'm like I said, I'm super excited about it, but I'm just I'm going to kind of wait for the people to be like, but it's fantasy, and like, why can't we just all be the optimal perfect? And it's just like, because we're not all optimal perfect, and maybe I want to explore that, hmm. <laughs> you know? And sure. people seem to really resent the idea of, what did, Jesse and Morgan, my two people in my playgroup, they call it success porn. Right.
0: Yes. <laughs> you know, where
1: you just constantly win at everything you do, and like mm. that's cool, like for a while. But eventually, I'd like a little challenge. Like, what? What if I am like an Oracle character, and am I in a wheelchair? Like, how am I a superhero in a wheelchair?
2: Right.
1: How am I, you know, or like a daredevil? How am I a superhero and saving the world if I'm blind? Right. Like, what does that look like? Did, right. You know, use an unfortunate pun. Right. So, that, uh, yeah.
0: That um, well, that's. Kind of like the revenge, the, like the revenge fantasy of the the teen angsty game you were talking about um, Monster, before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where you know you get to go back and and sort of like right some of those wrongs you experienced in in high school. So in that respect, it's sort of cathartic. And I wonder whether oh, I wonder whether perhaps. You know your trepidation stems from the fact that people may not necessarily see the the bigger picture whereby you know like it 's nice to be all powerful and and you know sexy in your cha- chamber or bikini or you know be super buff um, and that's so you 've got that vision of yourself which perhaps doesn 't necessarily match reality but um, but ultimately it 's not it 's more about the struggle and I, I I had a conversation I forget who it was with now, but I really only sort of enjoy the first you know, the first few levels of any Dungeons and Dragons type campaign because I like if I've got a first level thief um, that the owner of the house poses a mortal threat to me if they wake up. Yeah. So I so I, I can't just I can't just kill them. Not necessarily because I'm morally opposed to it, although that does raise an interesting issue and that's something I talk about in my book. But um, you know, you've got lots of different things that lots of different ways to Sort something out, and you're forced to have lots of different ways to sort something out. Whereas if you're a higher level, you can go toe to toe with the owner of the house, and maybe after four or five rounds, you can decide that maybe it's not such a good idea, and then you can make an escape. But in, and you know, if you're first level, then you don't, you don't. Yeah, that. you don't
1: really have that. I mean, you're, I mean your hit points alone are <laughs> just kind of sad and pathetic. So if he gets one good hit on you. Oh oops. Exactly, <laughs> no, absolutely, yeah. I, I concur with that in that, yeah, I mean once once there's really no challenge to the world, I, I agree, I also stop losing that bit of fun. Um, and yeah, it's, it's it can be a little challenging to continue to find things that are challenging, to just be repetitious. Mm. To go back to Monster Hearts, one of the cooler things um, in Apocalypse World in general too is you get strings on your other players, so like My Witch you know, let's say she puts a hex on your werewolf, now you have a string on me because you knew that I hexed you, right. that you can call back later as a personal thing, being like, hey, why did you do that? And you actually get bonus dice against me. Right. So, like, confrontation and conflict becomes a real thing because it's advantageous for you to do something against me, right. but I still did something against you first and I had no pen- penalty against it, so, which is very much like high school, you know, it's it's a what are the consequences of your actions? So yes. yeah, if 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 I just walked up and punched you, and you punched me, and we just punched each other, and then nobody ever went anywhere, like yeah, we're done now. Fine. it's no fun. So yeah, Fair World of Fear is going to be very. I'm I'm really eager to see when it hits the market because obviously anyone who kickstarts backs it is already kind of on the train. Sure. So I I'm waiting to see how the the community as, as a whole takes it. Right. Plus, I really love his. They have like a a chubby art piece i think he's either a bard or a chef and he's just so cute and <laughs> just like i want to play that guy <laughs>
0: <laughs> so if you could only be a player or a gm which would you choose
1: i admit that i would probably only be a player i there's a running joke um I get so immersed in my character that they're like, "Well, what kind of underwear is she wearing?" And it's not salacious or sexual, but it's just that those are the level of details that I will right. just like immediately go to. Like, sure. I know this person so well that I don't even have to think about what's in her her you know dresser drawers because that obviously that that's the only conclusion kind of yes, thing. Sure. Um, and so, but my problem with that though is that occasionally that people aren't. Running the games I want to play,
0: absolutely. Right. That, <laughs> you know, yeah, that is that is a problem for sure.
1: And so, while I certainly enjoy role playing or uh, GMing, I admit that even when I do GM, I will try to find games that are GMless. Like um, a really good one currently for that is uh, Tulipacat or it's Tulip Academy, but it's got a longer name and I can't. just. Gentlemen's Society of the Tulip Academy, I think it is. Um, it's a cell-style game, and it's basically like your, it's, it's based on anime, and it's kind of like the host club uh, setup, where you're, this though is a, a dangerous society, so it's almost more like a, extreme or a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen if they were all Japanese schoolboys. Right. and they go on adventures <laughs> together, but there's no... Yeah, exactly. It's awesome. <laughs> I highly recommend it. And, and uh, But again, it's a teamwork game, and you all play students, and you kind of take turns GMing, and so I really enjoy playing that game. Another game I really play, actually, it's another cell style is another Cell-style game, is Maid, where the GM actually takes the role of the master, and then he kind of just has this, like, assault force of maids that... Both do his bidding, and at one point can rebel against him. He is a bad master, and so it's still an element of me playing, even though right. I'm f- facilitating the game. Right. I do admit that I I'm not as in I don't get as jazzed about games where I'm specifically the GM that has like the many hats kind of thing. Right. But again, I'm willing to to do that for, like, a convention or two so that it gets out there and that other people get excited about it. Sure. And then they'll play it, and then I'll play in their games.
2: Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: what I do.
0: Yeah, and, and because yeah. you've shown them how it's done, you can be reasonably confident that you're going to get to play your type of... your version I, of that game as well, right?
1: More or less. Um, you know, but I don't... But to that be that said, I still enjoy very much seeing where people take other material. Like, we kind of have this running thing with Doctor Who games at our local convention... And, like, some people do it really well, and some people really don't. But we're all playing from the Cubicle 7, like, the official RPG. Right. How they've done it and where they've gone with it is completely different. Especially when you're talking Doctor Who, because, like, are you talking old Who, or are you talking new Who? So, you know, so, but I'm still very intrigued by people's interpretations of things. But that's just, I'm a very people person, and I... I'm always very intrigued by We both read the same passage in this book, but you felt it was about this, and I felt it was about that, and that's awesome. Right. Um, and do you think that
0: being really immersed in a single character is a is a girl thing?
1: You know, I would have said that about two years ago, and then when I began LARPing, I realized it wasn't. I think that maybe women come at it a little easier because we're allowed to have intimate play with dolls, whereas boys have action figures who almost all are warrior types, either you're G.I. Joe or you're Superman. But your main story component is aggression of some sort, whereas little girls are allowed to play house. Um, And to be fair, I hope that that changes soon. I, I know a lot of men who currently have little girls in their lives, and so I'm like, yeah, let's get... You know, girls with superheroes and your boys with, you know, dolls. Woo, I'm a rebel. <laughs> but when I started LARPing, like I said, I realized just how much thought had gone into characters. And it's not a situation where, like, all the magic casters are girls and all the warriors are boys. Like, one of the, one of my, so I play in Dying Kingdoms, a little shout out there. One of the best warriors that we have is this lady named, well, her character is named Skylar. I won't, uh, I won't give her name because, you know, I don't have her permission. But her real-life job is she is a naval officer. Right. So she really, like, in fact, she'll say, like, can't make this game protecting the world from terrorists. Right. But she, her, her warrior guy is, or girl is just fierce and just jumps in there and just tears people up and then comes back and she's just, like, very reflective about, you know, who she is as a character. And I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. But then... There's another gentleman whose character is named William, and he's also a fighter, and he would come back with the same stories, like, oh, it was really hard, like, when the possessed peasants came, because I, as a count, know what it's like to have, you know, a constituency, and it's very difficult for me, and I just was like, wait, you think about that too? You aren't just reveling in the fact that you, like, got to, like, punch three dudes in the face in a row, kind of, you know, anime style? And he's like, well, no, of course, I feel for these people, and I just was like, oh... So (laughs) that experience, like, yeah, I, I think in your more, maybe mainstream, and I'm using that term loosely, I think gentlemen are a little reluctant to put that investment in there because they'll, they, I think they'll think of, they think they'll, but their buddies would think less of them. Right. But I think, I think guys are just all waiting to do something to the extent, not every guy, obviously, but I think there are more guys out there than less that do that.
0: Right. So... Along those lines then, um, Mm -hmm. and one of the reasons why I was so excited to get you on the show and and a number of other female guests that I've managed to line up that are also GMs uh, to a greater or lesser extent, is it seems to me, and maybe this is my experience, but about one in three role players are girls, give or take. But the proportion of girls that are GMs, is not the same as a proportion of guys that are GM. You know, of those one-third, you know, one-third of males probably are GMs, maybe even half, but it's not the same for girls. Like, seeing a girl GM is, for me at least, is very rare. Mm-hmm. And is it, why do you suppose that is? That that was really sort of the lead-in from the previous question.
1: Absolutely. Um, when you're talking about convention settings, I think that there is a reluctance because the story has to be really punchy. Like, your story you have to have a very sharp arc. Like, you. your act one, act two, act three has to be boom, boom, boom. And the easy way to do that, some would say lazy, but, you know, one of the easier ways is obviously combat and conflict.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And not that women are bad at that. I really want that to be an underscore because Moira Turkington and I have had some draw, just knock-down, drag-out fights about rules about how hard someone can punch someone else. But I think that in the larger societal complex world that we live in, it is very easy for a random, more or less anonymous dude to try to over- overwrite his female GM by saying things like, that's not right, or that's not how I read it. or And I think a lot of women, since oh, especially again, convention settings, can be so fractious that that's just one more thing that they don't want to deal with. Right. You know, um, I have the luxury of number one, I play or I run very nichey games, nichey games rather, not nichey games. They don't believe in anything. (laughs) Um, You know, not a lot of people sign up for the Abney Park Airship Pirate game who don't know what Abney Park's Airship Pirates is about. You know, like I don't get a lot of just random walk ins. But like if I ran something more mainstream ish, like a Star Wars game, like uh, there's a Spirit of the Star Wars is one that comes up a lot of times. Or if I ran like a Firefly-esque game, I get a lot more people. And I admit, I do not want to argue about rules when it comes to combat with random Joe that I don't know. Right. Just ugh, don't want to deal with that. Right. Um, I think another thing too is that you know if if I am not going to do combat, like let's say I'm going to do a really high political game,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and I am I'm I'm reluctant to say this. But it, it, it in my experience, let me preface it by saying that, in my experience using a broad brush to paint the picture, dudes expect sex on the table. Like, really? if I'm going to a- do a high political game, is there a girl there? Can I do her? You know, and I'm like, get away from me. Right. Like, not not every woman in this scenario was built for you to roll dice to bone, like, um. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna just throw things at you right. and that's a, like again since conventions are already so fictitious just another thing on the table that women just don't want to deal with sure and so you know and, and, and it's it's kind of I see the culture changing slowly but right. it is changing um, I'm I'm a multi-genre gamer I guess you could call because I not only role play but I do a lot of video games Right. Um, And not just one kind. Like, I do like my RPG and my JRPG, but I also really have a passion for fighting games. Oh my gosh, though, is the fighting game community way anti-female friendly. Sure. It's really kind of like turn your stomach kind of just like... Or I, in fact, when I used to play Halo, I never had the live, you know, Xbox Live on. Just didn't. Right. I this was a silent partner who ran around in my armor and shot people because I just could not handle the just overwhelming misogyny that was just dripping from the entire situation. Sure, And so, yeah, it, again though, like I, I know at least in terms of my local convention, the, the system is changing. And since a lot of my local people go out in the world, like a large contingent of the Nerd SoCal people go to Gen Con and Origins and Remation, which are all back east, I feel like they're taking our message back there, so to sure. speak. Yep. And so, and I certainly know that it's coming this way too, because there's kind of a, you know, uh, there's a, what is it? They We started, we're in be- Nerdly Beach, they're Camp Nerdly, that's who it is. And they're another kind of group of indie players who kind of, Preach the message, so to speak, and so I right. know that we're going to meet in the middle at one point. Sure, sure. and so it, it's it's a thing; it's a work in progress.
0: Yeah, well, and it's and it's important that it's happening too. I think the more um, parity there are in, in games, it's only going to be good for the for the hobby, right? Trying to squeeze out some of those stereotypes. Well, absolutely, as well. and I
1: think because we're kind of the third generation of gamers, I think at this point, because like you've got your original like, Gary Gygax, like, 40-year-old, 50-year-old kind of dudes and right. ladies, but for most part dudes. Yeah, and it's then more so in right? True, yeah. And then they had their kids who are now kind of in their, like, say, 40s and 50s who were still kind of following just in their parents' footsteps. So now, like, we are their children, and we're yeah. in our, you know, 30s, late 20s, and we're now beginning to have kids ourselves. And since there's been just a, such a societal shift in terms of how involved fathers are, making sure that, you know, girls know that pink and princesses aren't their only options, letting boys know that, you know, playing with dolls makes them excellent fathers who are involved in their children's lives. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of times, you know, when gamer men come up to the table and they see a woman, you know, in a chainmail bikini with her legs spread in a giant sword in a suggestive position... They no longer, eat, their first thought, at least, is no longer, oh, that's hot. It's like, what if that was my little girl?
2: Mm.
0: Sure.
1: You know, and I feel like that's changing the dialogue in a very significant manner. And the same thing with, like, you know, um, my friends who have little boys, and, you know, they see that. And it's like, oh, that's not what I want my son to take with him, because I don't want him to think that about women, you know? Right. yep. And so with that, again, going back to, like, uh, you know, Farewell of Fear... Be- and I think that's an important message that they're sending through their art like their warrior women all have actual armor on right. they're, they're spot and sexy in that armor but like they're not in like I said red Sonya bikinis Sure. and that whole dialogue is just a it's a larger picture than the small microchasm of gaming So. right for
0: sure yeah okay so um, when you are a GM how much mm-hmm. preparation uh, do you do how much specific preparation do you do and how much do you fly by the seat of your pants so to speak
1: it kind of depends on the game. Um, again, I do play a lot of low-prep games that I can more or less participate in myself, because I'm a cheater that way. <laughs> um, like Tulip Academy, you literally just... You as the facilitator set the scene. You, um, There's the king of the host club, and he sets the uh, like goal for the semester, what? and you as the facilitator you do that. But because you have also rolled up a classmate yourself... Right. you then participate in, essentially, the adventure you made. Right.
2: Um,
1: uh, but there are games that are, take a little more prep in that. Like, dogs, you know, you obviously have to fill out the, the town hmm. hierarchy of, like, Sin sure. Chart, I think is what it's called, or whatever like that. Sure. Um, if, if you were to say 100% is the press-go button on an adventure, right. I would say that I I prep about 50 to maybe... 75% if I'm going to do pre-gens.
2: Right. Because I
1: like that last 25%, we'll say, of what? the players bringing what they want to the table. Because sure. I'm not going to prep a whole game that's all about, uh, you know, um, like... S- uh, you know, Stargate is one of actually my favorite sci-fi shows in the whole world. Right. I'm not going to prep an entire game about how you have to go kill a gold dude if the people come to the table and go, we're going to liberate this planet and we'll deal with the big bad guy later. It's right. all about, you know, this particular planet. Right. I'm not going to railroad them.
0: Right. So if you <laughs> were playing for a four-hour session and you were doing four <laughs> hours of preparation, I'd call that a one-for-one one prep to play. Um, mm-hmm. So by uh, let's just say... Um, the um, the game you're just talking about uh, for the, like for for that type of game, it strikes me that's going to be probably you know it's going to be sort of action oriented rather than character development oriented. Which is not to say mm-hmm. that character development doesn't go on there. Would you be a um like a a one to two or would you be like twenty five percent like only like a one to four or?
1: I would probably do maybe a two to four because I do enjoy pregens for conventions right but i leave um i leave points unspent for the players to do the final work so like right. i'll hand out like the captain and his second and uh you know the the artillery guy but i don't give them genders i don't give them names while their archetype is defined i allow the player at the table to define to define their specifics right. um and then i feel like that brings to focus what they really are looking for out of the game. Like, you can be a captain in the Air Force. Like, again, if you're talking, like, a Stargate. Like, (laughs) oh, my gosh, you're on SG-10, and you're going to show them. But, like, maybe you put, like, that, you know, uh, you're a mathematician, so you're actually really good at, like trajectory and logistics I'm like oh so you're a way more like a thinky guy you're right. not necessarily a shoot first kind of guy okay that tells me something about you mm-hmm. um, I'm also very much I'm when I'm talking like long-term play I'm I love holding a session like play before playing in a way right. what do you guys want who do you think you're going to play uh, what are the themes you want to see come in play uh, you know, and that's always a great discussion to have in terms of lines and veils. Like, what right. don't you want to see? Right. And then I'll go in and I'll prep. Uh, you know, very tailored to them. Because while it's cool to have like big sweeping, just overarching things, mm-hmm. if you are not involved and plugged in in any way, right. I know as a player, mm-hmm. I don't give a crap. Right, so why course. is it? Why would you yeah. care?
0: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what's the perfect number of people to role play minus the
1: GM? Minus the GM would be four. So five at your table total. If it's. I would almost say five at the table plus GM making it six if you were a well oiled machine and it was a system you all knew by heart. But at that point, just stuff starts to get just complicated, just like fight scenes. It's not about taking too long. It's just about like what the heck is going on. Right. So I find that four works really well because. You can then split the party, which, you know, oh, you're not supposed to split the party. If two go left, two go right, you can still figure out what's going on. If you go three and then, like, one dude's being a sneak attack kind of guy or he's being the scout guy, like, then that's okay. But less than that and you end up with, like, too intimate because everything is happening in everyone's back pocket. And then Mm. again, more than that, I find just it's just too big and chaotic and I don't quite understand what's the pictures happening in my head because right, right. there's just too much uh, going on right so four is, is my is my favorite number with one gm right. unless you're unless you're facilitating like it's a game where you kind of play as well then i'm, I'm okay with five right
0: so how often do you role play and for how long
1: i regularly play every saturday um like i said even before we were broadcasting app app uh we were just gathering together and then Will Huggins decided one day, I'm going to invest in thousands of dollars of recording equipment. And we went, okay. <laughs> um, but at minimum, Saturday. Uh, I I have recently bratched out because I am, I am jumping career tracks <laughs> and I am joining the medical field. And so at least right now during my education, I basically have a Monday through Friday and I'm done it five o'clock which i haven't had for years and so um i had been doing a tuesday night group um and that was about four hours of actual play and then maybe an hour on either side either we got there early and and talked a lot or we would stay after and talk a lot Uh um but one of our our gm actually he decided to be busy and get his movie approved so he has to go be famous um and then As you do, you know, that's just the L.A. lifestyle, what can I say? If you're not all waiters, you're stars, what can you do? Um, But I'm going to be beginning a Thursday night game, actually um, kind of a a throwback to old school, and I'm really looking forward to that because it'll be with a person, a GM, who uh, I've always... (laughs) Colin... Only lives at 11, if you're familiar with that phrase. Like this one goes to 11. Right. He is super animated, he's super involved. But for being as big as he is, he knows how to just laser like focus on. Who, what is very important to your character. Right. You know, and I'm really excited about that. I've always enjoyed playing with him at conventions, and I haven't ever had the opportunity to do a long form. Right. And they had an opening in their Thursday night group, and we're like, hey, do you want to come? And I was like, oh, my gosh, can I bring the brownies? And so right. I'm super excited about that. But that'll probably be also a three- to four-hour session. Right. So on average, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, we tend, between 10 and 12 hours, a week average, and that's not counting if I have a LARP event that weekend, right. Which is a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all day deal,
0: right? Well, that sounds awesome. I wish I could find that much time in my, <laughs> in my schedule.
1: When again, I this this is all kind of a life change thing. I have worked uh customer service for the last 15 years, right. and I just was like, you know what, if I'm gonna like be a servant to people, I'd like them to, to at least appreciate it, so I'm gonna go be a medical facilitator, right? Sure, <laughs> and so. I'm sure it won't be like this forever because, again, just during schooling, you know, school only really happens during the daytime, so to speak. Sure. And so I have my evenings and weekends suddenly free, and that's right. been tremendous. Okay. I feel like a teenager again. <laughs> awesome. So <laughs> I only have cats. I don't have kids, so oh, that yeah. would also change the land- landscape.
0: Right, absolutely. So... Should males play females? You can take that neither, in in either way. Like, where the males should be forced to play females, so they don't get into that. Uh, you know, is uh, I've only there are only two types. When I think about role playing, I think that uh, well, at least one a time it was like there are only two things you can do with people. You're either going to fight them or they're going to be helpful in some way. But apparently mm-hmm. there are three things in your experience. They either want to get boned or they're going to fight, <laughs> or they're going to get, or they're going to be useful for information in some way. So so I might have to revise that. But but in my experience, it's only the first two. So um, should males play females, and then also, you know, should males be allowed to play females?
1: Here's, and I don't want to, I don't want to like get pissy. Here's the problem with that question should is a very problematic word because I'm not the boss of you, and literally, there is nothing I can do to stop you from doing whatever you want. So, if you as a man want to play a female character, okay, what am I going to do? Like, now I am the boss of me, and I can certainly choose not to play at your table, or I can choose, you know, to ask you to leave my table if I'm the GM. That said, if you're just going to come and, like, make an example, like, I'm going to play, you know, the Blom Bombshell, who's stupid as hell, and just Twitters, and, and, you know, never, you know, it always trips in the forest kind of bullshit, like, what are what was the point of that? Like, do you feel better about yourself? Because the yes. question that makes me want, that I want to ask is, what in your life is happening that you feel that that was okay? Right. Hopefully you know, sure. what, yeah, like, did it make you feel empowered? Why do you not feel empowered around women? Did that make you feel, like, vindicated? Well, who's the woman in your life who's, like, emasculating you? Mm-hmm. Because I have definitely had positive and negative experiences with, Both, actually. I had a girlfriend in um, my early 20s online who only played male characters. Her name was Michelle, and she only played male male characters. And she just felt like it was too revealing too much, too vulnerable to play a female character with, you know, her actual gender. So, like, we played on a Babylon 5 game, and she played a fantastic Londo Malari, and then we were on a Pern game, and she played a fantastic Bronze Rider, and people really didn't even know she was not a real guy. I only knew because we happened to live relatively close to each other. Um, she I was living in Santa Barbara at the time, and she lived in San Luis Obispo, so we decided to get together one one weekend, and I just was like, you're a girl, <laughs> right? And, yeah, yeah. You know, um, and so like, and the, but then that poses the question: like, why did she feel intimidated by words on a screen? Like, how? Mm. Why did that affect her? Right. You know? So should again is a very problematic word. But again, I'm I'm the boss of myself, and if you've decided to use that as some sort of example of like how girls are dumb or how women don't belong in gaming, I will table flip and walk away. Like right. That is my prerogative. So, But I think, though, that if you're open to it and you're willing to, especially, again, as we mentioned before, like male gamers who suddenly have daughters, mm. I think that that opens up a very interesting line of internal dialogue when you start... And again, because, yeah, I have had, like, well, is there any girls here? Can I do them? Mm. Where it's like, oh, I am the female player now. Yes. And there's a male NPC who like maybe is coming on to me, what does that make me feel? Why right. and then when you go back to you know go back to playing male characters, you have a different perspective when there's a female either in the NPC pool or at the table. Right. So I think it can be healthy if you are willing to explore it that way, willing to change you know, challenge yourself. Right. But if you're there just to, you know, dick off, you you were there to do that from the beginning. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, should like I said, should is a very problematic word, but I will accept it this time.
0: <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, very gracious. So, do you or should GMs fudge rolls?
1: No, absolutely. I uh, I hate that. I hate that. Hate that. Um, and I and in part I acknowledge wholeheartedly that just comes back from my simulationist roots. That like, no, I don't care. if... If I got a 10 and your, you know, target number was 7, I got you. Shut up. But at the same time, I've also learned to embrace that failure is not, doesn't mean the fun is over. No. That failure can just be a challenge. It can be a roadblock and it can be an obstacle to overcome. And I don't necessarily always, you know, it's not kind of rainbows and cookies the whole way in that, oh, well, obviously, you know, something better's around the corner. You know, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not as good, but... When I'm talking about, you know, developing a character and telling even a story. Yes. Yeah, not everything is, is, like I said, rainbows and cookies. Like, sometimes bad things happen to good people even when they're on very good missions, you know? Yes. Like, your, your tire falls off and you missed the appointment and now, you know, Joey didn't get his kidney. Oh, crap, what are you going to do? Right. Like, those complications, I feel, add verisimilitude to the situation, yep. not failure with a capital f yes and so, oh i hate when gm's fudge rolls even if you're doing it in my benefit i yep. just smack you
0: yeah <laughs> that, that comes down to what it does for the story if you've got a, um, a putting aside the whole idea of you know should there have been a role at all um if you yeah. are going to um fight see i'm i'm okay with with fudge rolls but having said that the game that i the game that i wrote. Has very speci- I got very I very specifically addressed that issue. So, you know, um, for somebody who's just new to the game, they, it's hard for them to, particularly if they don't have one of those seed players that knows sort of how this whole thing works, um, mm-hmm. to see a rule and not just go, okay, black and white, boom, that's it. Um, I encourage people to think about the effects of the role on the story. Ultimately, they'll get to the point where it doesn't matter what their role, it's always going to be good storytelling.
1: Exactly. No, exactly.
0: But, if they go just straight to um, like this that happens boom that 's dead okay that 's end of the game okay we 're finished for the day Then, <coughs> you know, that 's right yeah and that's that 's a problem so so yeah, i 've built things into my game where you know you don 't have to you don 't have to fudge rolls, but um, I think that there 's something to be said for you know putting aside the idea of um, Putting aside the idea of you know should I roll at all, that sometimes there's a role that makes that makes no that makes no sense, and if you're not really an experienced storyteller, then some then the number of times that that comes up um, can overwhelm the enjoyment of the players, because ultimately that's your, your goal, right, not to say well you know that's just the way that it turned out and, and too bad for you. But I absolutely take take your point. You know there, I don't want it to all be you know uh, cookies and rainbows. I want yeah. that all roles to be meaningful and for but crucially, every role, failed or otherwise, should advance the story.
1: Absolutely. And that's actually that that is right there. If you could put a pin in it, every role should advance the story, whether it be a success or a failure. In a lot of ways that's why I really like the fate system. Um not you know, not even just talking about like Fear of the Century or Dresden, but just the core fate, because it, it has levels of success, so, you know, like, there's good, fantastic, excellent, and so even if you succeeded, there are levels of success, and depending on how, you know, your outcome, and then the same goes the other direction, like, your failure, like, there's, like, not-so-good, dismal, yes. blah, 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 you know, it gets worse to, like, oh, shit, creek kind of thing, yeah. where I really like the fact that, like, you can fail better than other times because again mm. I, I feel like that is very like you said every role should have a consequence to the story and I, and I love that because like even if you kind of like did your ends justify the means like Billy got his kidney but like maybe you took it from an old guy laying on the street like no right. no one's gonna miss the bum but who are you now to have taken the bum's kidney kind of thing oh yeah for sure like I yeah I love that kind of stuff I feel like that's that's to me the why I come to role play
0: right oh yeah absolutely yeah, there's a lot of there's every like every role should be meaningful, but you know there is often you know the bad dealing with the consequence of the bad role is where the really good role playing comes from.
1: Yeah, and that's actually something that again I feel like your your traditional role players are have a hard time kind of embracing no, is that sure. the consequence of a bad role that like they kind of a lot of times I have found they don't want to deal with it you just like no let's just forget about that let's move on mm. and i'm like well no i mean this still has an impact in the world there are consequences for the fact that this didn't happen the way you thought it would or instead yes. that you dropped the ball so to speak you know either mm. literally or figuratively and and again yeah there and then there are some games where you actually get benefits i'm trying my brain is like totally blanking right now but there are certain i think it's in burning wheel where like failures actually give you more or less a Benny that you can cash in then at meaningful moments so that to right. give you a boost during, you know, right. when something is supposed to quote really count. Right. And so like, that's kind of also a nice reward system, at least in that regard, like mm. it rewards you for not being perfect every time.
0: Right. Yeah. That's but one yeah. of the, again, when I talk about my game for a second, but, um, when just to address that, the, the first point you made, which is that old school games have a lot of t- trouble dealing with failure. Um, of, so there, are, there are two aspects of that, I think. The first one is people just don't like to lose. That's one thing. Yeah. But, but second of all, um, and I think Donald in episode 10, or I think it might have, Yeah, Donald episode 10 was saying how um, part of the problem is that um, when you fail, if the GM's in charge, oftentimes you fail out of character. So, for example, James Bond is doing something and he botches his role. Um, James Bond being James Bond, would not you know, like have, have uh, you know, dropped the gun on the ground or something like that. James Bond wouldn't do that, right? Mm-hmm. But something else would have happened. Like, for example, he'd actually stolen the gun off somebody else, and then that gun that he stole had, mis- had, uh, had misfired or something like that. So it's not really – like, James Bond is not a klutzy person. And so Mm -hmm. he wouldn't necessarily... So you don't lose that sense of what your character... is. I'm using James Bond as an example, but everybody's got a a, a feeling Oh, no, but he's a
1: perfect example, too, though. I mean, just because he's... I mean, he's both the everyman and the ubermensch, because, I mean, he's suave and debonair, but, like, you know, gets dirty and down in it kind of thing. So actually, I think he's a perfect example.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that failing... Like, when you... My feeling is that the GM controls everything except your character. And if you are going to decide the, um, you know, the, what sort of failure somebody does, you're kind of driving your player's character, which, which is why in my book, if you make a failure, there's actually an advantage to you for describing the nature of the failure. That way you get to fail in character and you get to own your, uh, you get to be the author of your own demise is the, is the way that I put it. So not mm. only did you get a slight advantage from it, but you get to still be your cool self. You yeah. just have to find a way to describe how you fail, but in a cool way, so you don't lose any part of yourself. You, the GM doesn't sort of drive what's what's happened to your character so that you become less cool in some way. I mean, you may not have been successful, but you're still yourself, right?
1: Yeah, and I actually prefer games that do that. There are a couple games, um, PTA is one of them, that like you can lose the conflict, but win the narrative rights. Right. On how, So like who tells how it went down kind of thing. Right. And, and I like when, yeah, no, I like that, yeah, because, you know, you, of course, want to be the cool guy, but, like, again, if you failed the role, you failed the ro- role, but, like, yeah, maybe, like, just, you know, the M.A.P. like character kicked the gun out of your hand, well, that's different than just, like, whoops, dropped it. Right, exactly, so, yep. Yeah, no, and I and I appreciate when games make allowances for that because I feel like I'm not, and then again, you know, you get accused of being care bears and I'm just like, ah, I didn't my life is hard enough as it is. I don't need to spend my Saturdays also grinding my teeth. Yeah,
2: exactly. So,
1: no, it, 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 is my, it is my therapy, it is my immersion, it is my escapism from the world. You know, some people watch reality TV and, like, Housewives of New York and crap, and I pretend to be an elf on Saturday, like, get over it. <laughs> and so, you know, yeah, I, I appreciate when games don't punish the player, yes. I guess is really, yeah, the way it can be phrased. So, good, yeah, Woo. thumbs up. <laughs> thumbs so, up for rock and roll.
0: <laughs> so, what's the best and or most inspiring role-playing film or TV show. It doesn't have to be about role-playing. It just means something you watch and go, wow, that's really cool, that inspired me to do the XYZ, or I really want to play a game where I see that happen.
2: Um,
1: it's probably a little more offbeat in terms of, like, you got to stay with me how I got there kind of thing. Um, Stargate. Stargate, Stargate, Stargate. I, especially, again, during high school, I was a little bit of the closet neat geek because... Everyone at my high school um, listened to, like, a Top 40 radio station. I didn't. Uh, Everyone, like, followed, uh, you know, the the pop bands of the day. I didn't. Everyone loved, like, I remember when The Bodyguard came out as a movie, and I just was like, ugh, kill me now. And all the ladies at my school were just like, oh, Kevin Costner, he's so dreamy. And I'm just like, did you see (laughs) Dances with Wolves? And they're like, what's that? No. And I'm like, "Oh, I hate you. And so... (laughs) I'm trying to think, I think I was a, I was either a junior or it might've been the summer between junior and senior year. Um, we have a, you know, a a channel 13, but they do a syndicated thing, UPN. I mean, I don't know what they, I don't know the words for it, but like when a major broadcasting station for like certain parts on Saturday becomes another lower class broadcasting station. I don't know even what that is, but they were showing reruns of the first, I think three seasons of Stargate, which I hadn't seen.
2: Um,
1: and it was just amazing. It was a cowboy show. It was a space show. It was a military show. Right. It had a strong female character, but it also had a dorky, smart guy character. Like, he wasn't just like, so not all the dudes were buff guys. Right. You know, they made mistakes. And it made me want, <laughs> which now in hindsight like is kind of like, well, duh. But I wanted to write stories about them and i didn't know at the time that it was a thing called fan fiction right. but i would write stories about the four main characters on stargate sg1 right which obviously then led me to you know if i could only role play as these guys and then that's how i got into role playing for games so when i think of like the genesis of my creative self it right. actually all comes from the stargate franchise right. stargate atlantis but not so much universe, although Eli was cool. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone else in that show was kind of meh, but I liked Eli with his giant red shirt of you are here. He was adorable. Um, David Blue, I think, is his actor's name. Right.
0: So who is your favorite villain and why?
1: I'm (laughs) i going to have to throw back to old school, and it's actually going to be a TV show, but it's going to be... the Cybermen from Doctor Who, and I don't necessarily mean just the new Who Ten, but like I, I was introduced to old Who, if you will, um, as kind of like, oh, you like David Tennant? Well, maybe you'd like the other things, and I'm like, what? There's forty years of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I, the the Cybermen probably terrified me the most. Same kind of you could say as the Borg in um, Star Trek TNG. Right. Because they don't care. They don't care who you are as an individual. They don't care what your dreams are or what your aspirations are. They just want you to be assimilated part of the machine so that you can go make more of them. Right. And that absolute loss of not just individuality, but, but creation even. Like, nope, can't like poetry because you're a Cyberman. Nope, right. can't like cats because you're a Cyberman. Right. And just that absolute erasure of who you are as just either, you know, man or woman, geek or jock. Like, nope, none of that. And that just freaks me out. Just freaks me out. Like, tentacled monsters that suck your blood, those are definitely scary. Don't get me wrong. But an entire culture, for lack of a better term, that wants to do nothing more than erase who you are to propagate, that is terrifying to me. Just terrifying.
0: So, that's, but that's not the sort of villain that you can identify with, right?
1: No, and that's, in, far, in fact, why I think they're the least scarier to me. Because, like, there are a couple episodes where Cybermen and, and like, again, um, like, Borg get personifications. Like, um, Hugh, uh, if you're familiar with TNG, he was a Borg that somehow got disconnected from the Collective. And then Geordi and Data... Like, kind of made him their little sidekick for a while. Right. And then in the movie, there's that creepy ass queen lady who, like, wants to get down with data. Um, so they give you that, like, face. And then, even to be fair, we, the introduction of the board, when they make Picard Lacutus of Borg, oh, my nerd cried is just flowing <laughs> just right now. <laughs> like, they give it a face that you can identify.
2: Right.
1: Because I think that, especially with the Picard and Borg episode, and then in the um, there was I'm trying to think I think it's a tenant episode uh, it's the it's a Christmas special that's right it's a it's a Victorian lady and she actually makes like a giant steampunk Cyberman, and she itself becomes the brain and she's like inside of it and she's in this gorgeous red dress but she's just like all robot out because you see the destruction of what they were even if they were someone you didn't like like the Victorian right. lady was a bad guy from the beginning but she at least still was herself. She right. was a person that you if you didn't necessarily like or even sympathize, you could still let's say point at something and be like here's who you are. You're you're a crap, but right. you're still this. And now you're nothing but just like a carnivorous monster machine. Right. So yeah, I mean that lack of ability to identify, that la- to sympathize, to understand even their point of view, I think that's what makes them even all the more terrifying. It's almost Cthuloid in that like they are a horror that you cannot understand.
0: Mm, right. Yeah, that's one of the sort of threads that's been going through this particular question. Is that there seem to be sort of three different types of um, criminals? You've got well, not criminals, sorry, villains. You've got the the force of nature, which is kind of the Cybermen in, in their own way, and the and the Joker too, to a degree. He just wants to to burn everything down. Yeah, things they, they, really they I don't care. They're yeah. just chaotic for chaos' yeah, sake. Yeah, um, or super rigid order like the Cybermen, and then you've yeah. got like. Uh, Hannibal Lecter, who you can identify with, because some of his traits are actually not odious, they're quite admirable, but he's obviously a monster in so many other ways, and then you've got a guy like um, Hans, Hans Gruber, who is as a uh, you know he wants to you know retire on 20% I think is the is the line so you can totally identify with his uh, goal but you don't necessarily agree with his means and then mm-hmm. the other one is uh, Lex Lex Luthor and the example that I have given a number of times so I won't belabor it here but Lex Luthor's only a bad guy because the comics are written from, from Superman's viewpoint
1: No and in fact we have had that discussion because um, with the uh, with the Smallville RPG that came out and it was just like, yeah, what point of view are you really reading the story? If, if you are from, like, a, um, uh, Oz, the, the, the Superman, the, the Hobgoblin, the Sun version, you know, it's like if you're telling it from either Superman or Spider-Man, oh, obviously those are bad guys. But if you're telling it from the other way, they're both revenge stories about their fathers, especially in the context of Lex Luthor in Smallville. Right. And so, yeah, if you're telling it, you know, history is only written by the, the winners, so to speak. mm mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, if you're familiar with American uh, history at all, the Civil War is what it's called in the West, and in the South in particular, it is still the War of Northern Aggression.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. You yeah. know, and I
1: think that that's, you know, very telling, and mm. that even though we all agree on what the facts were, like, we all know how many people died at Gettysburg, but mm-hmm. was it a Civil War, or was it the War of Northern Aggression? Yeah,
0: yeah, oh yeah, for yeah. sure, it just depends on your, your point of view, Absolutely. That's yeah. what keeps things interesting, I guess. So, if you could become, <laughs> a, if you could become a character in a role playing game, what would it be? It doesn't mean like you get to play any role playing game and you could play somebody because you did it anyway, mm-hmm. but like suddenly, you know, you were you were actually there and you were a person in a game, what would it be?
1: Um, it would be a tie up between my most favorite and probably oldest running um, changeling character. Her name was uh, Dorcas St. James. Um, a lot of people go Dorcas, and. It's, I got, I had just finished reading Stranger in a Strange Land, and um, Jubal Horshaw's secretary is named Dorcas. Yes. And then my grandmother reminded me that in uh, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, one of the brides is named Dorcas. And I was mm. like, that's just a crazy awesome name. Mm. So I named her that, and she was just a spitfire, and she was able to say and have the confidence that I didn't have at the time. Right. She just was like, and I'm not talking like, you know, aggressively, you know, rebellious, kind of like, you know, I'm just going to be contrary to be contrary. No, but if she saw a wrong that she felt was wrong, she stood up for it, and, and that was sort of my expression, because I didn't feel like I could honestly do that in my day-to-day. Right. Or, more recent, and like, well, I guess it's the last year now, um, I played a, in my Dresden game, Tuesday Ellis and Tuesday, Ellis was actually a fallen star to Earth, very much like uh, Vane from Stardust.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I have a tremendous fascination with the cosmos in general. Like, in another lifetime, I would have been a quantum physicist right. <laughs> if I had the math head for it, but I don't. But I just loved the idea of the inanimate gaming sentience and what she did with it. Right. Like, she grew a soul, essentially. Right. And where she went and how she used it you know ultimately of course she used it for good and she helped mankind be better but like that that because it's beyond even just childhood like in that you know when you're when you have a child and you're watching a child and like giving a, a you know a 18 month old a lemon for the first time is amazing to me because like their little brain is just like this is terrible but all the food to date has been good, so maybe I should try it again, and, oh, it's still sour and bitter. <laughs> and that, you know, that experience is, you know, that they happen again and again and again, but you, ex- you expect that from a human child. Right. When you take something that, like, that, was nev- that was never their intention, and then, you know, I mean, it's kind of anthropomorphizing at that point. Hmm. You know, give them that ability, I just find that concept fascinating, that I could have, you know, that I could be a star who fell to Earth and grew a soul. Awesome. <laughs> I'll sign up for that
0: yeah, absolutely <laughs> so do you have any dice superstitions
1: no but I know a couple people who do and so but I do have a certain you know it's it's the trade off I suppose like um, I have one fruit, one friend uh, Chris who's like roll randomly really well because he's super anti against dice superstitions but then like Another friend I have been is like he kind of picks sets out for specific characters. So like, you know, when he's rolling, actually when we played Mage, so when he was ran, running his toy, uh he had black dice because
2: right. you know, uh, evil. Yeah. Uh,
1: um, all of my dice admittedly are sparkly, and I don't necessarily know why. I mean, although I mean I like sparkles and I am an unapologetic about how much I like pink. Mhm but they they're all um like if you if you know the Chessex line at all they're all a borealis of some variety so like the pink borealis the blue borealis and so i find it sometimes amusing when like i'll roll up to play like you know a hardcore uh you know beat him up i'll be the warrior character and then i bust out my like pink sparkle dog <laughs> you know yes um there it's was a strange a, juxtaposition exactly and i think that like there's a great there's a shirt that, of all places, I saw walking in the mall at Hot Topic, which is, like, this really ridiculously trendy store here in Southern California. And, I, and the saying was, like, you know, uh, you laugh at me because I refuse to conform to your expectations. Right. And it was, you know, supposed to be deep, man, because it was in black. Yeah. And I always wanted to get that shirt because I love the fact that, like, I roll up in my Hello Kitty shirt with my sparkled ice And then, you know, roll out a Rift Glitter Boy. Right. And I'm like, my preferences on color has nothing to do with my imagination. How dare you presume? Right, absolutely. And so, it's not, again, it's not a superstition. No. But I admit that maybe I am subconsciously making a bit of a social statement with that. Right. But, you know, at this point... I just have so many dice of so many different sparkle colors that it right. would be harder to get new ones.
0: <laughs> dice is social commentary. Interesting.
1: And yeah. I, mean, well, I got to be my own kid, I guess. Like, who knows? <laughs> that's
0: right. What's, yeah, you got to be yourself, right? So, what's your role playing elevator pitch, including your go to example of play?
1: It's Cats. And that's a small $5 John Wick game. And I usually pitch that to people who are nervous about. Playing like they've seen people do it and they think it's kind of fun, but like they've heard too many stories about you know, or chick tracks about sending you to hell kind of thing, right? And um, cats is a fantastic what I call doorway game or gateway game. Right. You literally just play cats and you're just like a little group of cats. Now, you can either be house cats, you can be alley cats, it's a little bit like Lady in the Tramp, but about cats, right. And you do have a larger than life adventure because in the little cat's world you can see, like there are invisible monsters. Like, you know, if you've ever seen a cat just like run out of the room and then just like dive up on the couch for no apparent reason right. it's because he saw a monster and he was protecting you from it. right? And so that's that's the story that I'll tell to, you know, men and women. Um, just, you know, well, have you ever seen your cat, like, you know, attack your sock and then run out of the room with it? It's because then he trapped something in the sock and now he's going to save you from it. Right. And, you know, like one of my, my favorite adventures for cats is the, um, uh, the lost toys under the fridge. Right. And you have to go and save them. And like, yes. That's a situation that a lot of people can identify with, and and John Wick made cat's sheet very evocative. Like you, you describe your tail. You what, what kind of you know, do you have sharp claws or have you been declawed? Like oh, sorry, buddy, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And so the whole game is just made to it to just bring you in slowly with a little rope, an inch at a time, mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. suddenly you're like you know just what? hooked into it. And so yeah, and again, it's a five dollar game. So I mean, it's it's. It's inexpensive if you wanted to buy it yourself and a session is about forty five minutes at the right, most. Right. And it's a one shot. There really aren't any like cat campaign action games. <laughs> you know? If you um, wanted oh, to
0: have my- if you wanted to have a game where all the characters were out for themselves, it would be a cat game, I think. And also <laughs> I think perhaps coincidentally that would also be a good game for using sparkly dice.
1: It's true. Um, it also ties on really well to other games. Like I, I think in fact it was John. Somebody ran Seven C with a sub-game of cats going on right. underneath. I always wanted to do the like Inception of games. So like I wanted oh, to be Seven right, yes. C that had cats that had mouse guard going. Right. Yeah. 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 I think that would be rad.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The danger of straying into the territory always warned my guests of never going into. In a game yeah. I was in a game I was playing, I was playing a character who um who went to a parallel parallel dimension and uh, they had a lot of spare time on their hands so they had to um so in order to fill in the time, they bought a copy of uh, of a role-playing game. And in the role-playing game, they played a character that was me playing a role Yeah, you get the idea. Anyway, Uh-oh. here's a chance yeah, for you really, that'd be.
1: There was it's like that World of World of Warcraft video that was going around yeah. for a while. You're like, yeah. yeah, you could buy the expansion of your guy playing a guy in the world. Yeah, that's too yeah. bad. Then your, your brain starts exploding after <laughs> yeah. that point. But okay, thought, here's well, the, here's a chance I'm for
0: you to show your, uh, your role-playing credibility and, and, just, and bring together all the ideas that you've, uh, you've introduced so far, which is Totaling 100... Mm-hmm. system plus GM plus players
2: oh,
1: that's, I, I really am going to say that 50, a good solid 50% are your players because if your players aren't plugged in to anything you're doing, it doesn't matter what kind of dice you're rolling or what kind of story you're even telling They're just going to sit there and be like, "Eh, whatever. So, like, they... And I'm not saying you have to bring your A game. I'm just saying that you have to bring your A interest. Yes, yeah, for sure. You know, maybe maybe you're not the most creative person, or maybe you're not immersive and you do a lot of, like, well, my guy jumps. You know, I'm Mm. fine with that. But you have to be involved in it, or it's worthless. And so then I would split the other two, you know, like 25 system, 25 GM. Because while I... As a personal preference, and again, I think maybe this just is my roots showing, I actually do prefer, quote, universal systems that you can modify into the setting. So, like, Fate is really great for me because you have Spirit of the Century on one side and then Diaspora on the other with, like, Dresden falling somewhere in between. Right. With some tweaks here and there, but they're more or less the same system. Right. And I really like that. I like, I don't like having to learn new systems for every game, but I am not, I'm, I do understand, though, that, like, not every system supports every kind of play. So, you know, like, you, if you took, like, you know, 4th Ed B&D and then tried to run, like, you know, uh, like Hellcats and Hockey Sticks, which is, uh, all, all the PCs are girls based on the St. Trinian movies, if you've ever seen yep. those. Yep. Yeah, oh, I love Hellcats and Hockey Sticks, but, like, D&D is not going to handle that. No, sure. <laughs> that game is way too for color. Like, you know, girls are blowing up stages and then, like, you know, getting arrested and, like, D&D is not going to be able to really... Like, there's no... Yeah. So, like, I understand that there's a need for it, but I'm... But, I again, if, if your players don't care, your players don't care, so why are you even sitting there?
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Laura Bishop.
1: Thank you very much again for having me.
0: That's it for episode nineteen of Penny Red. For any questions or comments arising from the episode, Daniel at hazardgaming.com. Copies of Victoria can be found at hazardgaming.com. Click the Buy Victoria button and you will find a page where you can purchase the printed version of the book. You can also get a print on demand version through Lulu by searching for Victoria and or my name. PDFs are available through Drive RPG and RPG now but For the listeners of Penny Red, I've put a secret link on the Buy Victoria page. If you scroll all the way down on the right-hand side until you're across from the field where you enter your email address for PDF delivery, you'll find a secret link to a secret page where you can purchase Victoria for not $9.99 but $6.99. On that page, you'll also discover a number of other Victoria-related resources, uh, character sketches, uh, characters that are in the book on blank character sheets and so forth. And for those, you can pay what you like. Proceeds from that will go towards production costs of the show. Next week's guest is The Gen from the Genesodes. So until then, keep talking the walk.